host Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trigghauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute in Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Torun Tregistad is the Deputy Director of PRIO and Director of the PRIO Center on Gender, Peace, and Security, or GPS. Her career in this field spans decades, and her research has focused on topics like gender and inclusive mediation processes, the UN and Resolution 1325, women in the armed forces, as well as the emergence of norms when it comes to gender and security. I'm speaking with her this week to kick off a series of podcasts on the occasion of the 20th anniversary year of UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on women, peace, and security. What is it, and why is it important 20 years later? Torun's going to set the stage for a series of conversations I'll be having through the rest of 2020. Welcome, Torun. Thanks for being here. First time on the podcast for you, and I'm really happy that you can make time for this. Um, So 2020 is the 20-year anniversary of the uh, UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on Women, Peace, and Security, and the official anniversary is October 31st, I believe, Mm -hmm. so it's coming up very quickly. And because of that, we're going to do a series of podcasts that are relating to women, peace and security or gender, peace and security, as it's also now referred to um, at PRIO and in in our research areas. So to start us off, I think you need to define and and explain to our Mm -hmm. listeners um, what is 1325 and why is it important? Well, it is quite an important resolution. It was adopted, as you said, 20 years back in October um, and uh, It was regarded at the time, and I think we can still say that it is, a landmark resolution. And it was landmark because this was the first time that the UN Security Council discussed seriously uh, and acknowledged the important role of women in peace and security matters, both as uh, women who were um, working for peace, but also they were recognizing that women can actually carry guns and be soldiers. Uh, So this was the first time that these issues were addressed, that women were regarded as actors and not only as victims, as someone who needs protection together with children. So how long had you been uh, in in the field at that point? And do you remember how it felt to see this resolution adopted? What was that like? Well, I, I have actually worked or been interested in these kinds of topics even before the resolution was adopted. Um, it started already in around 1995 with the Beijing uh, conference and the Beijing declaration. Uh, so I remember when the resolution was adopted, I was really excited. Um, and I, there were, there, at the time, there was very little research on these kinds of topics in Norwegian academia or internationally. So I was thinking, oh, this could be quite an interesting career path for me. <laughs> and clearly that's worked out, yes. <laughs> yes, it has, but it was uh, a tough start because uh, at the time we were told or th- these kinds of, of topics or, or research was really relegated to the margins, uh, both here in Norway and internationally. It was not regarded as particularly relevant to international peace and security. And I remember at the, back in those days, both me and other colleagues were told that you will never be able to publish anything in high-ranking journals. So, so wow. that, that was the kind <laughs> Of, uh, of scene that w- were set at the time, yeah. But what does the text of the resolution actually say and what, is it, what does it actually do or what does it empower um, countries or actors to do? Well, what I think is, is most important with the resolution is what I already alluded to, that you, you recognize that women are actors, that they have 
political motivations that they are important uh, for for bringing about peace uh, to the world. But also what I think is really interesting with the resolution is that it calls for the UN system, for, for member states to apply a gender perspective in how they analyze conflict situations and how they plan, you know, uh, aid programs, how they plan peace operations. Because the thing is that if you apply a gender perspective and you ask simple questions like, so how has this conflict affected women and men differently? If you ask those kinds of questions, you you will get very different answers and you will have very different uh, information about the conflict at hand. So so I think that's really interesting about this resolution. But still, I mean, it's only in recent years that we have seen that this is actually starting to happen, if you look at organizations like the UN. Yes, and uh, next week I will have a podcast episode with Kristin Lund, uh, uh, who, of course, was in the Norwegian military. And so she is going to talk about some very interesting perspectives on including um, mm. women in, mm. in conflict zones. Mm. Um, what do you think is the biggest change you've seen in the gender, peace, and security field over the course of your career? I mean, you've already talked a little bit about this, mm. that you were perhaps not taken very seriously. And mm. now, I mean, we have a GPS center at Prio. Mm. We have a, a, a huge um, focus on that here. And every project is expected to have that, that lens uh, to some extent. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what has changed? Or not changed. <laughs> well, well, I think uh, from from an academic perspective, that's definitely the major change. That is, it is now taken seriously as as a research field in its own right. Um, we are definitely publishing in, in high ranking journals, and there are books coming out by by. Uh, you know, uh, serious and high-ranking publishing houses. Um, and also, I mean, if you go to big academic conferences like the International Studies Association, you can spend the full conference going from panel to panel, uh, listening to all kinds of interesting research uh, taking place. And this was not the case uh, if you go 15 years back. So so definitely that has been a major, major change. You can now have a, a, a career. You can become professor in gender, peace, and security studies, if you like. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of your career. How did you, how did you get involved with um, studying and really in Norway and in, in Europe leading GPS as a field? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what drew you to that? Well, it, it, it started out in my first job uh, coming straight out of university. I was working uh, at the Norwegian Institute for International Affairs um, on a project um, in the southern African region where we were running workshops and seminars on on peace building and peace operations, UN peace operations. And there was hardly any reflections on any gender perspectives. We were mainly uh, doing these training sessions for men and I was starting to ask questions about this. Um, And this was around uh, 95, 96, and I got to know Inger Schelsbeck, who later then become, became my, my colleague here at Prio. And she was um, quite alone here at Prio at the time doing research on sexual violence in armed conflict. So we, kind of, we, we got together and started to strategize and managed to secure some funding for a seminar series where we were looking at different gender perspectives on different, you know, peace and conflict issues. So that was where it really started. Um, And that was the seed to what was to become a long uh, professional and uh, relationship. And and that was also how I then gradually 
you know, I got invited to join a project uh, here at Prio in 2006. So that was when we established the Prio gender team. And that was the forerunner for the GPS center as we know it today. Mm. So now you've kind of talked about the academic aspects of, of 1325 and some mm. of the impacts that it definitely has had. But um, what about in, well, in the public sector in terms of, yeah, whether that's military, the various ministries of foreign affairs, uh, other actors, do you think that it has made a substantial difference there and perhaps in the application in peace processes? Mm. Well, that's where, well, I wouldn't say that we have failed or, or, or policymakers have failed. But uh, there is still a lot of work to do. Uh, I mean, for for women in conflict zones, for women uh, in post-conflict situations, there's still so much to do. And we can only look at, you know, the peace negotiations uh, taking place in Doha these days uh, about Afghanistan. Very few women present and, and quite difficult to to raise or put on the table issues relating to women's issues and women's rights and women's interests. So there's still a lot of work to do. But, uh, but I'm quite optimistic because uh, we are now doing so much interesting research on these topics. We are providing more and more data about the relevance of strengthening women's rights and gender equality. And we can see that in those countries that are most successful in securing women's rights, they also tend to be the most progressive countries on a number of other um, dimensions. They are stable countries. So, so I, I think as long as academia can contribute with these kinds of data and analysis and we train and educate more and more young people who later become the policy makers, who later become the policy analysts in, in ministries of foreign affairs and ministries of defense, I think we will see a gradual change and that there will be changes happening in, in the years to come. At least I'm, I'm, I'm still an optimist. Well, that's good. I think mm. that's that's a definitely a good trait to have. Mm. Um, so I mean, clearly, gender peace and security is relevant and important for peace research. Um, and as you've explained, I mean, things have have definitely improved in terms of inclusion. Uh, but do you think there are any other perspectives or or emerging fields that maybe are on that same trajectory but haven't haven't yet been accepted? Um, mm. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious where the, where is peace research going to go? Mm. Um, you're thinking particularly when it comes to the gender peace and security. Uh, yeah, 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 or or just yeah. any kind of different perspectives yeah. that maybe you see some analogous um, aspects. Well, I, I think uh, up until now, I mean, we, we talk about gender peace and security, but in reality, um, gender tends to be equal with women. So m much of the research is actually focusing on women. So I think in the years to come, we will probably see that gender research will actually be proper gender research in the sense that we are also focusing on different kinds of intersectionalities, that we will also have more focus on masculinity research, those kinds of, of issues. So I, I think that's probably something that we will see in the years to come. We also see that increasingly a number of new topics are included under this broader gender peace and security umbrella more the more what should i say hardcore issue areas uh, like for instance nuclear arms issues we also now see that there are calls for more gender 
uh, more gender perspectives in those kinds of domains. Mm-hmm. Um, violent extremism, mm. uh, very gendered in, in, in many ways. And also, interestingly, we see now that there are a new generation of scholars uh, evolving. Because if you look at those who have been really leading uh, on these topics, both in academia and in policy circles, and not least in civil society organizations, these are now the majority are, uh, you know, middle aged, maybe elderly women who have been in this business from back in Beijing and up until today. So we now see that there is a new generation of young scholars emerging with different perspectives, with different understandings of peace and security, uh, who are eager also to uh, apply these perspe- perspectives, for instance, on military studies, which has been a, a very difficult issue for, for many of the scholars hitherto. Uh, they haven't really touched much um, on the military side of, of uh, the women, peace and security agenda. I have recently been reading some some articles, for example, about feminist perspectives on nuclear um, disasters, and of course, there's been a lot of research about uh, ISIS and female fighters, mm. but it's often presented as feminist, uh, mm. using feminist theories um, mm. on those issues. And so I'm wondering, where is the overlap or the difference between GPS and feminist studies? Mm. Um, or, or, or maybe they are very synonymous, but mm. how do you see that? Well, to some extent, uh, to some extent synonymous, uh, but there are, what should I say, there are different schools also within this kind of research. You have, you have very strong feminist environments uh, who are quite critical to a lot of the research that is undertaken. Uh, And you have different schools, Uh, maybe I would maybe define myself more into the latter type of school, which uh, uh, my my background is more from mainstream, you know, IR, uh, peace and security studies. So I have been more integrating these perspectives uh, into the mainstream. I've not necessarily focused that much on feminist theories, but there is a lot of overlap uh, and there is definitely dialogue between these different schools. Um, and I think we have learned a lot from one another over the years. So I think that kind of dialogue will will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the feminist uh, perspectives have often brought in, you know, a lot of, you know, critical perspectives that have been really important both for gender peace and security studies uh, as such, but also for the broader peace research uh, discipline. Mm. Absolutely. So kind of thinking to the next 20 years, it's been 20 years of 1325, women, peace and security, but we talk a lot about how the work isn't done and it's not even begun in some areas. So the next 20 years, what do you what do you see coming or what are you hoping to see? Well, I'm I'm hoping to see that um, that more of, you know, the commitments in resolution 1325 and and the, and the nine follow-up resolutions to this what should I say mother resolution are actually implemented by by policymakers by the international community. And for that to happen, I also think it's important that uh, institutions like PRIO continue to conduct research to provide, you know, the necessary analysis and the necessary data to develop, you know, good policies um, based in in research. So, um, as I said, 
previously, I'm, I'm, I'm quite optimistic because there seems to be now more and more data available that seems to point in the same direction that it's actually important and worthwhile and necessary to apply gender perspectives to involve women if we want to build sustainable peace. And, and we can see this clearly now in all kinds of policies developed by organizations like the UN that this is now really being integrated into their large programming, into the way they budget, for instance. And also we see, which I find really interesting, is that more and more countries are now adopting either feminist foreign policy, that they, they actually labeled it feminist, or they integrate gender perspectives, women's rights, gender equality issues into their foreign policy. So we have more and more countries now joining that kind of club and lobbying for these perspectives to be fully integrated into, into peace and security policies and the discourse internationally. So what about for you personally? Because I know as, a, as the deputy director of PRIO and the director of the GPS Center, you don't have as much time as you probably want to do research, but um, when you can really dig into your research again, mm. what are you hoping to research or where, where do you see gaps that you would like to fill? Mm. Well, I, th I think uh, I would really like to do more research on, on women in, in peace mediation processes because um, there are still so very few women involved. Uh, we, well, we see a lot of women being involved in track two, track three processes, but the formal processes, there are so few women. So why is that? Why is it so difficult for women to, to be included and to be appointed um, as uh, lead mediators or lead negotiators? So that's uh, probably something that I will look into. Uh, the role of women in the more you know formal processes in in global governance uh, overall uh, i think there's still a lot of work to be done there do you have any closing thoughts on uh, on 1325 in this anniversary anything you think people should know or take with them no i think um um due to to the pandemic due to covid 19 uh i mean all of us involved in these kinds of issues we had great plans made for this year for all kinds of events and for bringing women together from all parts of the world at large meetings uh, at the UN and regionally. So I think uh, many of us have felt like we have lost a little bit of momentum that we are not able to, to meet as we planned. Uh, and you know, we are trying to do our best with organizing webinars and what have you, but it's it's not the same. I mean, it cannot fully replace, you know, the energy that you get from actually meeting physically and be able to talk to one another in, in breakout sessions and what have you. So, so uh, I just hope that, um, you know, the energy that we find in, in, in civil society organizations, the whole constituency that has been pushing for this agenda over 20 years, that that energy will not be lost now during the pandemic, uh, that uh, we will still be able to continue all the good work that we are doing in different ways, both as researchers and as activists. And so, so um, what, what I would like to take away is that we just still need to continue the collaboration because the women, peace and security agenda or gender, peace and security research is what is particular with this kind of research agenda is the close collaboration between research, civil society and policymakers. 
and I think that is what has brought this agenda forward. And I think that's the key to bringing this uh, agenda further forward in the coming 20 years. Yes, and we'll be co-hosting uh, several events in November to celebrate. So those will be online and they will be streaming. Like you said, it's not quite the same, but hopefully we will come back uh, stronger than ever after this. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Torun. Thank you, Indigo. Thank you for having me. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trighauger. Music by Martin Rindemol.